Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we've come to your word this evening. I pray, oh God, that you would have your way. I ask you, oh Lord Jesus, that you would speak, Lord, through me, oh God. I pray, oh Lord, that you would have your way tonight in our hearts and that you would have your way in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. <laughs> it's amazing when you're preparing for a message that, um, that's sort of been burning or, you know, a thought comes to you weeks before you're on the, the list and, and as you're hearing the word of God and different things that come over the pulpit, you can pick up the connections and you think, ooh, 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 I can't say it like they say it. So I'm going to say it like I say it and hopefully the Lord will make up for the lack. John 14 and 15 And then John 21 and 16. John 14 and 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Then in John 21 and 16, He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. My message this evening is titled, Lovest Thou Me? John 21, 16 is a portion of an exchange between Peter and Jesus, which takes place shortly after the resurrection. Jesus has appeared unto the disciples a few times, and here he appears to them again, on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias. And here Peter and some of the disciples have gone fishing. And it hasn't been a very productive evening or night because they they fished through the night and they've caught nothing. And then just before the sun comes up, Jesus appears on the shore and yells across the sea, have you caught anything? And their response is no. And then this voice from the shore instructs them to cast their net on the right side of the ship and assures them that if they do, they will have, they will be successful. And sure enough, the net is so heavy for the multitude of fish that they were unable to draw it up. John recognizes it's Jesus. And Peter puts on his coat, jumps into the water and swims to shore. There Jesus has breakfast waiting for them. And after they've eaten, Jesus turns his attention to Peter. And asks him three times, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter had made some pretty bold statements during the Passover meal that he was now ashamed of. When Jesus was trying to explain that he would be leaving them and that where he was going they couldn't follow at this time, Peter interrupts and full of bravado declares, Don't you know that I would follow you even unto the death? And Jesus responds to this outburst with the words of the prophet Zechariah, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. He then proceeds to break it down for them and explain that they would all be offended and be separated from him that night. Peter again defends himself and insinuates that his love for Jesus surpasses all the others in the room. Though, though all men, Matthew 26, 30, 
33, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Jesus looks at Peter in the eye and cutting through all the pretense and the bravado and says to him, really, Peter? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Mark 14, 31 records Peter's passionate response. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Jesus' words and Peter's vehement response rang in his ears with the rooster crowing that night. Peter ran from the scene weeping bitterly. And now they're here at breakfast and Jesus asks him three times, Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? There are two different words, two different Greek words used for love in this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus begins with the higher form of love, agape. This kind of love values and esteems. It causes one to perform unselfish actions and is ready to serve. This love speaks of sacrifice and total commitment. It is not a fuzzy feeling, but an act of your will. Peter, are you committed to me? Are you ready to serve me more than you serve yourself? Are you willing to perform unselfish acts of service? Are you willing to sacrifice more than these, as you said you would? Can you esteem me higher than anything or anyone else in your life? Peter's denial of Jesus had exposed his heart. He was not capable of loving him on this level. Fully aware of his failure, he humbly and honestly replies, with the lesser love, filio. Lord, you know I have a tender affection for you and I value our friendship. The third time Jesus asks Peter, Peter is grieved by his question. Grieved that he could not meet Jesus with agape love. Grieved that he had to ask the question three times. The same amount of times that he had denied him. Jesus, you know everything. You know what I'm capable of. You know that I have a tender affection for you and that you are my closest friend. Jesus knew the level of love Peter had for him all along. Peter had to face some hard facts and be honest with himself, with the disciples and with Jesus. He wasn't as brave as he had made out to be. He wasn't any better than the others. They had all pledged to die with him and they had all forsaken Jesus that night. But Jesus also knew of the transformation that was about to take place with the experience of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. A agape kind of love that Jesus had asked of Peter could only be attained when, this, when the Holy Ghost, when the, when the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost and would enable Peter to face the things that he had hidden from in the past. He would indeed go where Jesus went and he would lay down his life for the gospel. Throughout this exchange, Jesus commissions Peter as an apostle. Each time Peter answers the question, lovest thou me, Jesus gives him an instruction. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. The Greek word here for feed, sorry, the Greek word for feed in verse 15 and 16 means to provide nourishment for the flock. However, in verse 17, a different Greek word is used, 
And it not only means to provide nourishment, but to lead, to govern and guide. Peter, be a shepherd for my flock. Jesus reveals to Peter that he would be imprisoned and that he would die. His death would be violent, but would glorify God. It would seem this conversation, this part of the conversation happened away from the other disciples because from the corner of his eye, Peter sees John coming. And I get the feeling that between him and John, there was a little bit of, well, Peter was in competition with John. I don't know that John felt that way about Peter, but Peter always seemed to, I don't know, he was a bit of a doofus, I think. Um, And he, he felt threatened by John, I don't know. But he sees John coming and he asks Jesus, well, what about him? What's he going to do? And Jesus tells Peter to mind his own business. What I've asked you to do, you do. And don't worry about what I ask others to do. You follow me. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John record a question and answer session that Jesus is having with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And trying to find, they were trying to find a way to discredit Jesus by asking him questions, hoping that they could catch him out and use his answers against him. It started with a political question about taxes, perhaps to get him trouble to get him in trouble with the authorities. And Jesus begins his answer with a question: whose image and subscription is on the coin? And they answer Caesar's. And Jesus simply answers the question, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God. And then the Sadducees come to him with a doctrinal question regarding the resurrection, which they didn't believe in anyway. And his answer astonishes them and puts an end to their questions. So he, he kindly shut all the Sadducees up. But the Pharisees still had more questions. And they were, they were teachers and interpreters of the law. And there were 613 laws of Moses. And so they came with another question to test how well Jesus knew the 613 laws of Moses. Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6 and 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The word for love that Jesus uses here is agape, the highest level of love. Agape love requires total commitment. This entire verse emphasizes the sentiment with the use of the word all. Even the parts... The part in which we are to love God with encompasses the whole being, so everything. The heart often refers to the central part of what makes us tick, our mind. It's a place where we house our thoughts, our desires, our affections and perceptions. It is where we reason, where we we imagine. It's where our motives and intentions live and die. Left to its own, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And this is why we are instructed to guard and keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Romans 12 and 2 commands us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind or that heart. This is to be done when we bring our heart and mind under the influence of the Holy Ghost and submit our heart and mind to the Word of God. Not only once in a blue moon, but this needs to be a regular exercise. We're to love Him with all of our soul. The word soul in this instance implies life or breath. It's our person, including our personality. 
It is the natural life of the body, the fact that we have life, and it is the seat of our will and our purpose. Our heart can be tempted when it's drawn away of its own lust and enticed. But if our will and purpose is aligned with God, we will resist and hold our ground and not give in to our heart. If this becomes a habit, we will notice that our desires will change and the things we lusted for will lose their power. We are to love God with all of our life, our breath, our being. We are to love God with all of our might. The word might not only means ability or capabilities and power, but it, but it also implies vehemence. That is a strength that is not only physical, but emotional. We are to love God intensely with passion and great feeling. This verse and others like it leave no area of our life excluded from the command to love God. Our whole being, internal and external, our words, our actions, our thoughts, our dreams, our personality and our character, all of who we are is to love God and be totally committed to him. We all love and receive we all love and receive love differently. And this is because we have a love language. Some of you are familiar, and that helps us to recognize when love is being communicated to us. So whether you realize it or not, there you speak a love language. This is especially important in familial relationships or the people that you're very close to. To know how to communicate in the love language of your spouse or your children will go far in strengthening those relationships. In fact, discovering how to love your spouse and how to love your children is how God wants us to love within the family. It is, it is part of the second commandment to love your neighbour as yourself. We must endeavour to communicate love in a, manner that it, in a manner that it can be understood by the recipient. There are five love languages that Dr. Gary Chapman describes in his book, The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts, and they are as follows. Receiving gifts. Do you feel most loved when your spouse or parent or child gives you a gift? Quality time. Do you feel most loved by your spouse, parent, child when they make time to spend with you or perhaps do something with you that they enjoy, that you enjoy? Acts of service. Do you feel most loved when your spouse, parent or child does something for you like cook dinner or do the washing or paint the house? Physical touch. Do you feel most loved when your spouse, parent, child gives you a hug? And there is words of affirmation. Do you feel most loved by your spouse, parent or child when they express appreciation for you? If you answered yes to any of those questions, it could be because one of those love languages is the one that you understand. Unfortunately, we can be oblivious to the needs of others and their love language. And in our ignorance, we use our personal love language to try and communicate to someone else that we love them. However, if their love language is different to yours, they don't understand what you're communicating to them because they don't speak that language. Much, much like if I was to ask you in a foreign language to take out the rubbish 
or try to explain to you a concept. You may look at me and smile politely, but the rubbish will still be there and the concept will still be missed. No matter how simply I phrase it, what I'm trying to say and how much I repeat myself, you will still not understand what I'm trying to communicate to you. And this very same thing happens in relationships when we are unaware of how our significant other communicates love and understands love. For example, you may be communicating in your personal love language of quality time, trying to organise a time that you can spend together. You know that when you spend time together, how much it makes you feel valued and loved and you want to pass that same sentiment on to your partner or the person you want to love. However, when you try to make time, your spouse is busy doing things, always on a project, working in the house, mowing the lawn, painting the house, renovating the bathroom. These people will both become frustrated with each other. Quality time will get annoyed because there's never time to spend together and acts of service because the completed projects are not appreciated and acknowledged as they had hoped. Jesus understands the love languages that we speak. He knows how to minister love to every individual in this place. How I am loved by him and how, how, how he communicates his love to me is, can be slightly different to how he would communicate his love to Sister Sheila. The word says all the same thing, but he touches and he reaches us all differently because he knows how to love me and he knows how to love you. When Jesus ministered on earth, he loved people in the language they understood. We see there are times when he spoke a word of affirmation and someone was healed. Your sins are forgiven. Go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. And yet at other times he physically touched them. He spent time with people who understood quality time and made breakfast for the ones who needed an act of service. He meets with us where we are and on our level of love, just as he met with Peter, with filio love. But he also knows what we are capable of and desires that, he would, that we would grow into that and grow into what he has for us. Our relationship with Christ grows when we participate in loving him in his love language. Yes, Jesus has his very own love language. That is not to say that he doesn't understand when we try and communicate our love for him in our own language. He does. He understands. He acknowledges. He appreciates every effort we make to get closer to him and express our love for him. In fact, giving gifts, acts of service, words of affirmation, quality time, and even the efforts we make to touch him, he will accept them all. But first... He wants us to obey. Obedience is his primary love language. Cain's gift was rejected because of his disobedience. Genesis 4 and 7 in the Amplified Version reads, this is the Lord speaking, If you do well, believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, in other words, obeying me, will you not be accepted? 
And if you do not do well, but ignore my instruction, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you to overpower you, but you must master it. The gift wasn't the problem. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. By making it right with one another, we make it right with God. We fulfill the second commandment to love our neighbour and the first by loving God more than we love our offence. 1 John 5 and 3 states, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. The word grievous here means difficult or hard. To keep God's commandments requires obedience. And when you love someone with all your heart, soul and mind, obedience is not too difficult or too hard. In fact, you're willing to do whatever is asked of you. You obey because you love and you love to obey. The Apostle John understood this about Jesus. John uses the word believe in its various forms 98 times in the gospel, in his gospel, referring to receiving Christ, not as a once-off mental response, but as a response that involves the heart and action, a response of obedience. The German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. First John 3 and 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love and obedience requires action. Loving God requires a response from us. The appropriate response is obedience. He wants us to express our love for him in his love language, the language of obedience. John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. We don't get to pick and choose the parts we obey. We are to love all of him with all of us. In the beginning of the book of Revelation, Jesus sends a special special message to seven churches. One was a weak church that required strength. One a church he was pleased with and the other five needed correcting. Of the five churches, three of them had allowed false doctrine to be entertained in their midst and Jesus called it out and told them to get it right. They had compromised the truth of God's word and were teaching lies. The other two had attributes that had crept in and it had had affected their relationship with him. Jesus loved these people and whom he loves, he corrects. So please, next time you feel conviction, it's because Jesus loves you and is trying to help you and protect you from sin. Having his commands written on our heart requires that we listen to the promptings of the Holy Ghost and obey, even if we don't understand. That's faith. He loves us enough not to leave us the way he found us. The church in Ephesus was one of the churches that needed an attitude adjustment. Jesus acknowledges them for all the things that he is pleased with. From the outside looking in, they had it all together. They had sound doctrine. 
They protected their pulpit from imposters and liars. Their deeds were good. They worked hard and didn't tolerate evil. They were enduring difficult times and were faithful to truth. And although all these things were good, they had lost something very important. They had lost their first love. They had become complacent and perhaps too familiar with the presence of God. It no longer thrilled them. Serving God and being with his people no longer had that element of excitement that it had in the beginning. They had lost their first love, that puppy love that wants to follow and just be where you are. I remember as a young person sitting at a family function. Could have been on a a Sunday night, could have been a wedding, an engagement, a significant birthday. There were so many and sometimes it seemed almost every month, which isn't as far a stretch when you know how big my family is. And so we would be sitting there while the music was blaring and the people were dancing and I would be looking at my watch and thinking, oh, they're doing this in church, hoping that they wouldn't have a really good service and that I had missed out. I didn't want to be where I was. I wanted to be in the house of God. We have a puppy and her name is Luna and she waits for us at our French doors every morning when she hears movement in the house. She can't wait to be with us. She sits under pastor's window when he's working in his office. She sits under Cassandra's window when she's the only one at home. She sits outside the kitchen window and watches me cook. (laughs) She wants to be where we are. We are her life. Ephesus had lost their first love. They had lost that I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to be with your people kind of love where nothing was too hard and everything was awesome. They were, not look, they were not loving God with all of their heart, soul and mind, might. They had lost their passion and intensity for the things of God. And Jesus challenged them to remember and to repent and to get back to the first commandment, loving him with all. The other church I want to bring to your attention is the church in Philadelphia. They were a faithful church that kept God's word. The word kept in this verse comes from a word that means to guard or hold fast. When we take those meanings into account, we can see that the church of Philadelphia loved the word of God. It was precious to them. And because they upheld the word of God in their lives, they had to endure some things. They endured pressure from the world around them to compromise and fit in with society. But they resisted. They endured pressure from other churches to conform and accept evil trends to make, to make church more palatable to the lost. But they resisted and stood for truth. They had remained steadfast and faithful to God and his word and did not deny his name. For their obedience and for their love of truth, God set before them an open door. There is a blessing in obedience. There is a blessing and anointing when we express our love for God through obedience. Jesus came to show us what loving the Father looks like. He was the perfect example of obedience. John 14 and 31 tells us, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. And that's Jesus speaking to the disciples just before they left for the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Philippians 2 and 8 tells us, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and, be- and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This message is not about God's love for us. We don't have to wonder about that. His love for us doesn't change. It doesn't matter what we do, where we go, the choices we make. He loves us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The beauty in creation is his expression of love towards us. Our freedom to choose is his expression of love towards us. Salvation is the ultimate expression of love towards us. He loved us enough to take our place so that we didn't have to pay the penalty for sin. He was obedient to death so that we could have life. And he draws us by his spirit because he loves us. And we feel his presence because he loves us. But we must respond to his love. But we cannot respond in our own way. We must respond his way with obedience. He is aware of our shortcomings and our failures. And yet he asks us, lovest thou me? He knows the guilt and the shame we carry for the sins that we have yet to repent from. And yet he asks us tonight, lovest thou me? We may not be able to commit ourselves to agape love right now. Just as Peter was unable to commit to agape love. But Jesus is willing to meet you where you're at. He's willing and he's waiting. Why don't we stand this evening? He just wants you to respond to his love. To begin a journey of obedience. To begin a relationship with him that has you respond to his love and obedience. He draws you to a deeper place in him where your life will be dedicated to him, where he gives you the power to love him with that agape love that he so desires from us, that we can love him with all of who we are, all our heart, all our soul, all our might. But a commitment has to begin somewhere. And it begins with a yes, Lord. He knows all things and he is willing, if you are willing, to put your ha- yourself in the hands of his, in his hands and now allow his spirit to move through you. Lovest thou me? He is calling us to commit our life to loving him. To commit our life to keep his commandments. To honor his word. To lift it up above all things, above our opinions, about other people's opinions. But that his word would be our life. That it would be the thing that guides us. That if it says in the word, I have to do this or you must do that. Or keep away from this and keep away from that. That we would say, yes, Lord. As we heard from Brother Woodward, this keeps us. We don't keep it. And if we love him and keep our commandments, his command, keep his commandments, his commandments will keep us. When we express our love for him through obedience to his word, he will keep us. He, we will experience great blessing. 
We will experience anointing. And he will give us the strength to endure difficult situations. And enjoy abundant life just as he did for Peter. Peter died a martyr's death. And the Peter before Pentecost would have run the other way. He did. He proved he would. But the Peter after Pentecost became a completely different man that was willing to give his all for the one who he saw endured a cross for a man that would deny him three times. I'm calling you this evening. Jesus is calling you this evening to a life of commitment. Do you love him this evening? Hallelujah, hallelujah. The altars are open.